You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. We're here at CNU 24 in the lobby at the Detroit Opera House. And I have with me a guy who draws a crowd wherever he goes, except here, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> John Anderson. Welcome back. Thanks. Thanks. It, well, I had such a good time last year. We did have such a good time last year and the year before. And the year before. This is becoming an annual tradition for the two of us. Aren't we supposed to do like the ritual Minnesota greeting? We do. And, and I told you just now, um, you asked me where the, the facilities were. Oh, yeah. And I, I directed you down there, you know, and then you I told you on the way, I said, uh, they're very nice. You're going to like them. Oh, yeah. But I thought, you know, nice like Brainerd nice, you know? <laughs> and you so, got back and said, what is that? You know, I was not sure what it meant from a Minnesotan. And I'm like, well, it means it's got two holes instead of one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, they got the fireplace there. They, they have a fireplace in this bathroom? Yeah. And, uh, you know, like and marble soft seating, floors. Soft seating and, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it's like a ladies room, normal, like, you know? It's, it's what I imagine every ladies restroom to be like. That's uh, why they go in groups. Right, because it's got yeah. a fireplace and yeah, like there's places like canasta to lounge game around. going on in there. Exactly, you know? yeah. exactly. That's that's my assumption. Um, what do you what do you think of the CNU so far? Oh, I've this has been amazing. The weather's great. The outdoor space outside the Gem Theater is like the best lobby ever. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I I grew up. I thought it was a special treat to go down to Superior Street in Duluth and get a Coney Island. Yeah. You know? And yeah. Detroit has the best Coneys. Yeah, I've I've been told that. I've been told I've got to do that. Oh, before Lafayette I Coney. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm a I'm a I mean, I'm a hot dog guy. Oh. And uh, yeah. I realize that I won't be ordering hot dogs here, but no oh, Coneys. You know, Coneys. Yes. I'll get myself a Coney and yeah. I'll go. Yeah. I, 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 you one. Know. You'll have one Coney. No, no. Let's let's not get into that. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you're looking very prosperous. Thank yes. you. I'm trying. I uh, you know I have a new uh, clothing supplier, and uh, that that helps because I when I pick out my own clothes, they look like yours. <laughs> Thank you. I, today this is uh, head to toe Duluth Trading Company. Uh, that's perfect. Because no, I can, I'm just I can buy you. it online. You're a, you're a good looking guy. I never have to go to a store. Yeah. it just comes. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> Michelle Erfurt said the standard CNU uniform is the khaki pants with the blue shirt. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I reversed that today. I've got the blue pants with the khaki blazer. Well, don't get ahead of yourself. It's not that fancy. You know? <laughs> it's like Brainerd fancy. Yeah. It's like Brainerd fancy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, being like the, the, the Minnesotans, um, this is, a, I mean, I, the thing about this CNU is that we're not in a conference center we're not locked away in some, you know, thing with a big parking ramp next door. Yeah. This is, you know, the city as the platform, right? We're going from venue to venue. I, I, I'm blown away by these places. Well, and I mean, this this was a really rich city. You know, it it had a kind of a singular bed and a singular industry, and and kind of headed south because of that. Right. But this is, I mean, Detroit's no different from any other place in America, really. Yeah. You know, we're just, you know, 
marking time until we get to have our horrific experience. And, right. <laughs> you know, if Boeing left Seattle, there might be a bit of a divot, you know. Yeah, yeah. Chico, California, you don't think will ultimately reach I the... I don't know. I think Chico, California, if, uh, if they move Sierra Nevada, you know, yeah. and they lost the university... That, yeah. that it would be hard times for a lot of people. The, this the, this kind of building, and I mean, I, it, I will take some pictures and post them on the podcast because this the, there were some beautiful pictures of this thing. It, it blows me away. I mean, this wow. is opulence at like a different level. Well, and they, this is they, one of a number yeah, of buildings. They built an this. opera house in a town that had like immigrant bricklayers and auto yeah. workers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much opera was being consumed at the time, but... They were pretty optimistic about how much would be. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. is this is world class. Yeah. And or the, the City Hall in Buffalo. Yeah, the like, City Hall in Buffalo. It's amazing. Yeah, it's like, absolutely amazing. That's, I think that the uh, places like Buffalo or Detroit, it's there's like lots of natural reasons why there's going to be a city there. Right. You know, it's not like it's Las Vegas or something. But know? this is like pinnacle of civilization kind of building, you know? Well, darn nice anyway. Yeah. No, but I mean, you, you go, okay, th- this is the, the small town guy from Minnesota, but, you know, you go to the Vatican and it's like, you know, room after room after room that looks and feels like this. But I don't think there's anybody saying, you know, this reminds me of the Detroit Opera House. No, that's the problem. <laughs> uh, nobody, hey, nobody, nobody. You know, you know where I saw this before? Over there at uh, uh, Oli's the place. House, uh, yeah. The Opera House, yeah. yeah with you a two-holer. This uh, this Pope stuff, I uh... oh, it's quite the deal. <laughs> uh, okay, now we we got to get a little bit serious. I I, yep. I want I, you're the only person I have no script for, so I have no questions I was planning to ask you. No, so we could just wrap this up right now after our blink. No, no, no. We, today I I boned up on particle physics because I know I was going to be you talking did. to an engineer. Seriously, yeah. I just read a whole book on the creating of the atom bomb, and yeah. I know more uh, about chemistry and physics than I, I I thought I knew before. I always worry about deep dives like that, that somehow I'm going to occupy too much buffer space so that <laughs> I won't have room for laundry lists right, or, right. or grocery shopping. Okay. No, the um, uh, I, I'm excited about this one because it's uh, last year was really the kind of the kickoff for the whole small developer effort. Right. And since last year, we've done the 12 boot camps. You've had a we've little some, bit of, you're, you're on a little bit of a roll. Yeah, we're kind of on a rocket ride right now. It, it's, it's fascinating to me, and this is what I wanted to start with, because the, the last year I interviewed you and Monty, and the idea was, hey, is anybody interested in this stuff? And It's oh kind my, of a novelty. Oh, my gosh, yeah. like a few people showed up, and all of a sudden there's like hundreds of people who are expressing interest. Could this be real or not? Um, well, I think you've kind of proven now that there's some real demand for people to do this stuff. Well, it's it's either that or it's incredibly interesting vaporware. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, kidding aside... Um, I feel like, really, though, with this, and I'm not saying this just because you're my friend and, and I admire you. Um, I, I think between Jeanette Sadek Khan, who's probably like the... You know the highlight of this Congress for for many. Yep. I, I do think the the incremental development work you and the work that you guys are doing is like the high, you know the the high. The, it's the hot thing right now at CNU. Well, 
for a long time, no matter how uh, good the plan is, no matter how sound the policy, no matter how much the needle is getting moved on on that really core CNU stuff, uh, people get really frustrated trying to implement. Right. Um, it was t- 2011. Uh, there's a little. It's like a little five-minute video that Ben Brown shot of Victor Dover talking about the incremental, uh, the incremental development is I, too big. I actually took and had it transcribed and just ran the transcription as a blog post, yeah. and it was huge. People were so inspired by that. Which is amazing. Victor did that off the top of his head after two beers. Yeah. So <laughs> they would get get a couple more beers at him tonight and see what happens. Yeah. Particle physics. It's amazing. <laughs> the uh, no the uh, and we talked a lot about it in Montgomery. It was like a dark time. It was like. I was there. People have yeah. laid off their whole staff. They're struggling to find work. And everybody that's been doing fee-for-service architecture, design, charrette work and stuff, consulting, everyone's starving and, you know, competing for the same jobs. And RFP would come out, it'd be 150 firms that show up. Right, right. right. So you would have to hip-check some other... So new, 140, some other, 149 uh, firms were going to lose thousands of dollars applying right, for applying for it. Something. And then right. a couple of firms going to win... $20,000. Right. And then one firm was going to get a piece of work that was only worth $150,000 when it should have been three hundred. Right. And, and they were going to spend $40,000, $50,000 getting it. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, but I, what, what was also happening at that time was, you know, like beige monogram firms like AECOM yeah. were like a safe base choice. So DPC and Dover Cole and other Highline firms were like losing out to, you know. Right. You know. Right. So basically what Kansas City Royals were, were sweeping the, the Yankees. You know. <laughs> I like that analogy. A because I I You're a Royals I, ha- fan? I hate the Yankees with a passion. And B because no, I'm not a Royals fan, but I That's a, the best minor league team there is. I'm a <laughs> Uh, I you know I can laugh right now because we are the worst team in the league. By, yeah, I wasn't going to bring it up. Long ways. I wasn't no, going to bring I, it up. No, I owe um, I owe Kevin Klinkenberg. Uh, we have a we have a, a, a mid season and an end of season bet, and yeah. I told him I will just pay both at the CNU. <laughs> <laughs> like I forfeit. Yes. Let's just end the pain now. Yeah. Well, so they, it's good you do that with dignity because <laughs> it's going to get ugly. Uh, yeah. So I I, I want to get into the weeds about what exactly has happened and what you guys are doing. So you you were here last year at the CNU, we're talking about the first boot camp. You hold that great, you know huge turnout can you talk a little bit let, let's talk a little bit about the the makeup of a boot camp what exactly are you trying to accomplish who are you trying to get there and, and what are you hoping they they leave with well the folks that first of all the people that come very you know uh, a bit from place to place but the a pretty good sampling would be we see people who have some skills already Let's say you have you need to have five or six kind of core skills to be a good small developer, and no, almost nobody has those. Right. They have two, or one, or they aspire to have one or two. Right. The, the but, ability to suffer brain damage repeatedly. Uh, no, the, uh, the those kind of skills or no. The I mean the the base skill is you have a lot of hustle. Right. And then if you have a lot of hustle, you can acquire uh, some know how. Yeah. And some relationships. Okay. And if you have that stuff, then you can pick up technical knowledge right. about uh, oh finance, uh, contracts, 
uh, entitlements and zoning, architecture, construction, property management, yep. get, recruiting tenants and things. You can pick up all those technical skills. I mean, nobody rolls out of the womb knowing how to lease a space. Right, right. It's all learned behavior. Yeah. Typically, as a second or third career for a lot of people. Right. So, so we have people coming in that have a couple of skills, and that, but because they have those skills, they recognize they don't know enough to take the plunge. Sure. So we want to create a safe space where they can, you know, they can find their people. Are you so they the the so it's this tension between you presenting content about technical things, right? And you're encouraging basically people to speed date everyone else in the room, so that they if they're a contractor now they know an architect and they know a banker. Yeah. So is, is this is it safe to say? And I'm I'm going to say this, and then you can you can tell me I'm totally wrong. But, oh, I like a conversation that starts like that. <laughs> well, I, d- I don't want to. Because that's how I talk to my wife. <laughs> no, I just, we, that's just an unwritten assumption in every conversation my wife and I have. <laughs> I will speak Interesting to theory. You Chuck, tell no. me where I'm wrong. <laughs> so um, you, when, when, when you are walking in the door as a small developer, hustle and the willingness to, to make connections those are kind of prerequisites, right? Yeah. I mean, th- th- those those are th- those are the kind of natural prerequisites, and everything else has to build on that. Yeah, but I think you need a you need a temperament. You need a temperament that will kind of roll with adversity, not you know, like not not go off and be in a fetal position somewhere. Right. So basically, really low self esteem. Yep. And high confidence. Right. <laughs> Perfect. Right. Kevin Kevin Klinkenberg just joined us. You actually were mentioned in this podcast earlier. Oh, you're, my name is taken in vain already. No, huh? no, no. It's okay. a defender of the honor of the Kansas City Royals. She, oh, it, yeah. Okay, the, good. The, he, John brought up and said his analogy was it's like the Kansas City Royals beating the, sweeping Yankees, the Yankees, sweeping the Yankees. Yeah. And then he called you guys the, the best minor league team in baseball. Oh, and <laughs> how, are, how are the Twins doing anyway? <laughs> That was my return. It was like I, I love the joke because uh, you know I I enjoy both beating the Yankees mercilessly yes. and making fun of Kansas City. But I did. This note is not that, the year to do that. No, I didn't note that I have two. I have a I have a mid season and an end of year bet with you. He does, and I promised I would make good on them both I, at CNU. Because I trust you're an honorable human wor- being. It's worthless to. <laughs> we also, are plumbing the depths of low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it. it it's a lot of strain to be playing in that kind of expensive stadium. And yeah, all. yeah. So, you know. Now, did did you go to one of these these boot camps yet? Um, no, actually, I have I have not. We probably will be doing one uh, in Savannah at some point uh, okay. in the next six to twelve months. Uh, we haven't scheduled it yet, but uh, we're uh, we're hoping that for for Jim's sake, you know, it's like in February, March, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. I mean, we did send a we did send a staff person to the one in Atlanta. And she really enjoyed it. I think that was like maybe the second one yeah. that you have done. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's an idea John and I have talked about for a long time that is just desperately, you know, yeah. needed. And so I, I'm so excited that we're, that this is well, happening. This is at least half Kevin's fault. Yes. It is. Yeah, because he made. He, it's like the I was figuring, you know, gosh, if you just had like a hundred, you know, small developers, how much work <laughs> yeah, would get done? Yeah, and that done. was uh, yeah. your kind of vision. Well, no, he said 10,000. 10, yeah, 000. I was going for 10,000. I yeah. just, you know, pick a, pick a big number. Yeah. Um, well, really in thinking that if every metro area of, any, say, any of the top 100 metros, if they each had 100 small developers who really knew what they were doing, 
you you would change you know the landscape of our cities immediately. Right. Um, that would be the fastest way to really get good stuff done. And I think you know over the years, one of the big the biggest problem that you know John and I and others encountered in doing charrettes and projects yeah. is we had really a, a lot of capable designers out there, but then hardly anybody who could build stuff. Right. And we have yeah. a, a culture of building where the vocabulary we would use, like an ordinary building close to the street. It's like, oh, okay, it's only six bays of parking? You know, <laughs> right, the, right. The, the, the same words mean different things. Right. So the, you get I've yeah. totally seen that. Yeah. No, you get yeah, yeah. It's like, just, yeah, yeah, I totally get that. So I'll just, quickly, in the front. I'll, I'll just quickly give you my, my hunting versus gardening analogy. And so yeah. I think what, what we did, what the CNU did excellent, you know, did an excellent job with in the early years for the first 10 years or so was, was gardening. It was really sort of finding people who were interested in all of this and nurturing that and educating them and building them up. And then we kind of went on a hunting ex- expedition for a long time, mm-hmm. which was going after the Sentexes and the Pultees and the Walmarts. Right. Let's try to get the let's, big developers right. and convince them and, to, and to try to convince them. You can only them. barbecue so many mastodons. That's right. right. And, and right. what this, this, <laughs> exactly. And, and this is gardening again. So I think what yeah. John is doing is we're going back to that sort of beginning, which is saying, let's find the people who care, who want to do this. And let's feed, you know, that interest and we'll create this fantastic, you know, garden of people who then can go out and do what needs to be done. Right. So yeah, we had hopes that the we would get. Okay. We Thanks, w- Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. Mic drop out. Mike yes. Out. Okay. All right. Well, I Take think care. that the, the, the hope that we would somehow uh, convert large commodity players. Yeah. That if you sort of triage, like things are screwed up. Yeah, and the people who are who are culpable in that system. If we just gave them a different set of tools, we could somehow get people to do excellent work under duress. Right. You know? Right. And it's just that just never happens. Right. You know, it's like if you ask your teenage child to clean their room, clean becomes sort of a relative term. Right. You know? Right. So you ask Pulte or Centex or whoever to build better places, they'll build a better version of Centex, but. You know, it's like assigning a haiku poem to, you know, high, right. oh, high school kids in detention. Yeah, you know, this is yeah. going to be like uh, some reference to a young woman from Nantucket in there somewhere. Right, there. right. So <laughs> it's not going to be great art. Right, you know? right. Or, so, you, or you go to the auto companies and ask them to build, you know, something oh, completely foreign to what they yeah. do. And I think that the um, it's, it's a normal human condition that we, our tribes develop a culture and, and develop things that we're comfortable with. Right. And things that are outside of our experience are suspect. I mean, we shouldn't change human civilization, like pivot on a dime. It should take some while to kind of decant and make things differently. Right. You know? So so you get these people in the door. Yeah. And now you're giving them technical skills. So a, a, a kind of overview on here, leasing is not so scary if you know these five things. Yeah. And you're having them intermingle so that they can support each other. Is that the essence of a boot camp? Yes, and the 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 intangible is you want to uh, you want them to know that if they have hustle and they're making relationships, they can acquire technical knowledge. They right. can get know-how. Right. And I think that the um, I mean the it's common for for people to have a sense of like well. Nothing is going to change except for the worst. And they don't come away, from, they don't get that like, like because they have a rich fantasy life. They get that experience because it's drilled into them every day. Right. Things are going badly in a lot of places. So you want to give them some hope, not, not 
because you spun a fairy tale. You want to give them hope because they see that they could make a difference. And the thing that I think uh, makes that seem most possible is they, they come away knowing that they found their people, that they found people they can trust to keep them on the straight and narrow and to not delude themselves with their financial calculations and yeah. to, you know, and to treat each other squarely. Is I think, there a little bit of like AA kind of like self, you got a sponsor kind of thing, like we help each other that way? Uh, not well, that formal, but well, you know what I'm saying? Actually, Monty Anderson, I've been talking about that. It's like the one of the power, powerful things about AA is that, I mean, there's basically a manual and there's like a, you know, five Xerox pages explaining to you about how to find a church basement with uncomfortable seating and bad coffee. Right. You know, and how to run a meeting. Yeah. And it's a 12-step process. And you don't go to the third step unless you've done the first and the second. Right. So I think that the... Uh, As you're describing it, there's some parallels to me. Yeah. So yeah. I think that the uh, what we're telling folks is... Because also, when you find someone who is uh, an architect or a disillusioned city staffer or somebody that wants to do this, they want to do it as big as they possibly can right away, but they want to make sure they have everything in order. Right. And what they need to do, unfortunately, is do something small, get through the whole cycle, you know, get a good critique from their colleagues, mm -hmm. and do it a little bigger next time, maybe, or do two of the same thing next to each other. You right. Know? To do it in increments that aggregate into a city, you know, and I think that the, the 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 make the shift from the idea that your project is a building, to a hyper local approach that your project is the neighborhood, that that's your farm, you know, that's the place that you committed to. It's like your dad gave you the forty acres, and even though you might lease a field eight miles away and drive your tractor there, and everything, you know, it's like that's a bad idea. Yeah. It's like get to know your farm. So it's not right. You get with the extension people, you get the soil right. Trying to figure out the drainage, get, you know, trying to figure out what crops are going to work best where. Become really intimate with that place. Because the only advantage you're going to have is that you are, for the neighbors who are really upset about the big developer doing the project that's out of scale, you need to be able to demonstrate that you were a noticeably less crappy version of the typical developer. Yeah. You need enough daylight between you and that other guy. And you can't get too far out ahead of yourself. You have to start small and build a legitimate reputation. But at the same time, if you're always walking around that neighborhood, you're living in the neighborhood, you know where the good sites are. You know where the good falafel stand is. You know who needs more office space. You know, And it's more about cultivating something than, than manufacturing at scale. It's like big developers, they, they have to chase economies of scale, and it's not very resilient. You know, it's, 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 not, it's fragile because it depends on a huge workflow coming through that area. Small developer is completely constrained by economy of means. I, can, I only have this much capital. I only know this many other people with capital. I only know one plumber. So if my building is really huge, it'll take forever for my plumber to get done. You know, so I need to work at a scale that makes sense and cultivate the other people I need to partner with. Right. And if I get too big, too fast, everything's at risk. Is the, is the most common, uh, I, I would say problem, or the most common hang-up you have to cure, the notion, and I think we talked about this a little bit in the past, but the notion that uh, people fall in love with a site. Like they come to you with a, a site, and then that's their passion is that site, as opposed to 
my passion is actually being a small developer? Well, people are excited about their neighborhood and that site and how it fits into the neighborhood. And they typically have a pretty good instinct, you know, that's caused this infatuation. Okay. It's not love. It's yeah. infatuation. Right. It's like there's a brain chemistry thing at work. <laughs> right. You know, the species will be promulgated based on the enthusiasm being generated by yeah. this infatuation. That's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. But you have to dial it back. You know, and and we 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 repeat this to a point where uh, I have to find new analogies. Um, if that is a great site, draw a half mile circle around it, and find the other almost great sites, eight of them, right? Yeah, right. Don't pick one from one, uh, because there's a tendency for us to get really invested in cultivating all the information about the one site, and if it doesn't pan out, uh, it's really discouraging. And you know everything about that one site, and you know nothing about the eight other sites. Right. So get excited about the one site, dial it back, find the other ones. And then also now you know where your next project is, even if that ends up being the site you work on. You know. Sure. So the, uh, the, but there's a tendency to uh, want to pick one from one, one site from one, one architect from one, one banker from a pool of one banker. You know. Right. Um, are, are there other hang-ups people come in to the boot camp with that you have to kind of, you know, bring them back from? Um, well, there's bring them back and there's dope slap. Okay. <laughs> I'd imagine which one you find more enjoyable, right? Well, uh, <laughs> no, it's like uh, some, it's more a question of necessary. Yeah. Because uh, people just need to snap out of it. Right. Um, there are some uh, types of buildings that are so compelling that people almost can't help themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, a great old, you know, 80,000 square foot brick mill building in New England yeah. uh, is it's like a siren. Right? Oh, it's like a siren song. It's a beautiful building, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and, and, it, and if you had a small building, you had a 5,000 square foot building and you found a 3,000 square foot tech company. You'd be thrilled. Right. That, you know, it's like, so you bring them into your 80,000-foot mill building. You need 80,000 square feet worth of good windows and a good roof right. and a mechanical system and everything else. And a 3,000-foot tenant doesn't even make a dent. Right. So for a small operator to leap into a big building, you know, even if you got it for a dollar, it's actually possible for a building to have negative value. Yeah. Right. So, right. you know, so it's like you spent $80,000. Yeah. It's like, you know, and you have to dig yourself out of that hole. So you need to start at the right scale. Um, we also see folks that are uh, haven't really made the distinction between building something for rent and building things for sale. And it's my contention that if you're an urbanist, if you understand that the neighborhood is a flywheel that you're going to create momentum on and there'll be great benefit across many properties, you shouldn't be selling the first couple of properties you improve. You know, you should. Right, a, right. That's your investment. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and it will, you'll look like a genius if you hang on to them. Right. I can't tell you how many properties I regret that we sold. Sure. You know, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're creating. <laughs> you're making someone else a lot of money. Well, that, right? it, and, well, and also uh, when you build a property and sell it, let's say you build uh, townhouses or single family houses. Yeah. Your taxes are going to be ordinary income. Yeah. Uh, same as your regular, you know, 35, 45% income tax bracket. If you build it and you hold on to it, 
for more than two years, it's capital gains. It's it's 15%. Yeah. Also, if you held it on for two years, a pretty good chance you could hold on to it for 15 or 20 and have passive income. Right. So if you're an architect, you're used to send, sending people a bill and getting collect, trying to collect on it in 90 days, you know, um, if you have passive income, you can become a lot more selective with who you take on as a customer. Sure, sure. The uh, or you could take time off. What? You know. Wait a second. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's 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 a it's a growing trend in architects uh, that started around the time around the recession. Right. It's about 2008. There was a lot yeah. of architects taking, taking a lot off. of time off. Yeah. It was really a nice time for them. I was happy yeah. for all of them. That yeah. So so l- let's. Well, usually it was like combined with an ulcer, but you know. <laughs> A lot of bed rest. <laughs> Medical bills, uh, you know, unfortunately. Um, so the first boot camp was last August yeah. in Duncanville. You've done 12? Yeah. I, I, just ruminate a little bit on this trajectory because it, it, I know early, in the early days, we, you know, you and I talked a little bit like, well, we'll do one in August and maybe then there'll be one in the fall and we'll look to do like maybe one next, yeah. next winter. There was no one thinking 12. No. Well, but I think also we really underestimated um, how uh, deep the interest is. I mean, the people that self-select that want to do this or the people, the community activists that recognize that this is what their town needs or the city staffers who recognize that this is the type of development that their master plan is calling for and everything. Right. uh, There's really no end to that. And... We're doing as many as we can. Um, Kevin's number of ten thousand is not a crazy number. No, it's not. It's the. I mean, there's. It seems crazy. You and I standing here thinking about it, but in in terms of like what is actually needed to make this stuff go, that's that's not a crazy number. Well, and it's the it's. I mean, if if your stock and trade as a small developer is turning a shuttered muffler shop into something productive, uh, you know, three more buildings. And a place where you can get $2 coffee, right? Mm-hmm. If that's what you do. Um, how many shuttered muffler shops are there in this great nation? Right. I mean, how many pieces of land preserved in asphalt are there? You know, yeah. how many downtown parking lots, you know, in, that are no longer needed? Right. An in, in infinite number. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, so the, and if, and if all you do is, you know, one or two projects a year, you know, and you die at 150, you know, you could make a nice dent in Detroit. Yeah. But it's not a big dent. Right. You know? right. So I think also the opportunity for small operators to each take a small risk and work in close proximity and have a big impact and also learn a lot together mm-hmm. collaboratively. Mm-hmm. I think that model is, is uh, the most promising. It's like craft brewing. As long as the small craft brew outfits have... Miller Coors and Budweiser as the evil empire to like you know, yeah, rise up against. They share all kinds of information. They share recipes. They share staff. They sell and rent each the, other the, equipment. The best places for craft brewery. They they have like teams of people. Yeah, they, in in a, in a in a world you'd call them competitors, but in this kind of framework that we have, they're you know they they build well, the trendy, they feed the, off each other. Well, the trendy word for that is coopetition. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And I think that the uh, understanding that there are things that happen better in groups, yeah. right? It's really hard to have a great restaurant if you're the only one who eats there. Right. You know. Right. I mean, you could be really focused and try really hard, 
but it's just not going to scale. Yeah. You know, and also the, I mean, we've seen situations where people do pop up, uh, pop up arrangements and food trucks. And the initial reaction from the restaurants is, oh, you know, it's going to mess up my business. And if people have kind of a fixed pie mentality, they're really worried about how the pie gets cut. Mm-hmm. Where, how big is my piece? Right. Well, well, my piece gets smaller if yours gets bigger. So let's fight. Let's argue about how we cut up the pie. Now the pie looks like cobbler. Yeah. You know? yeah. And if we had just gotten our act together, the two of us could go get more pie. Right. So when the food trucks come, sometimes the, the restaurants extend their hours into a food truck. Sometimes the food trucks develop a menu and a following, and they open a brick-and-mortar arrangement. Right. The, those kind of opportunities and that kind of dynamism is much more uh, viable with small pieces, with small increments. You can always aggregate into something bigger, but it's really hard to do, make a big, lumpy thing and do it in phases. Right, you know? right. What's this, what's, this, what's this been like? You know, for you, I, I, I want to, well, I, I think you've got to talk about the Incremental Development Alliance and like the, the, yeah. the, the kind of structure behind it. But I, what I want to get at is last August, you had you and some other folks had some vision for how this might evolve. And you've, you know, the, you, the evolution has outrun your vision by a long ways. What has that been? What has that been like? What, how's that experience gone? Well, the um, I'm on a plane a lot, and the kind of the guilty pleasure is I can put my earphones on, and the phone's not ringing, yeah. and I can get out my sketchbook and my notes, and I can think hard about it, and and there's a flow. And then three hours later, I'm in wherever I'm going to, and I pack up my stuff, and I go do the thing. So the, it's a little weird. Um, I actually, sitting in that Southwest Airlines seat, you know, scribbling on my tray table, uh, the world is getting so big. And the number of people that we're meeting, I mean, the, orig- the early group was uh, an overlap between uh, Strongtown memberships. And CNU members, right? And now I think maybe that group is about half. Yeah, it's like the every boot camp there are people that didn't know they were strong towns people, didn't know they were CNU people, right? But they found their people. Yeah, you know. Yeah, which is and, awesome. Well, and, you know, they're happy, they're connected to other people, they're doing ambitious and creative things. You know, it's I I get to see people's best self. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, and then as the projects come along, people from that original boot camp in, in, in Duncanville are building projects now. You know, it's not wow. even a year later. Right. You know, people that weren't developers before are now developers. And, the you know, they, there are lots of false starts with scale and trying to figure out, you know, can you quit your day job yet or everything else. By the way, you know the difference between uh, uh, somebody who wants to be a developer and somebody is a developer? <laughs> no, it's uh, thirty five dollars in a trip to the VistaPrint website <laughs> to get a to get, get a, a business, business card, card that says developer. <laughs> I'm a developer. Yeah. yeah, it's not that like there's a license. Right, right. You know, yeah. The uh, it's not like there's grown ups you go to to ask if it's okay. Yeah, yeah. You might ask your parents, but you know, it, it it's it's one of these things where I you know I I I very fully in theory embrace the notion that we should have. Thousands of small 
players out there doing small things and trying things out. Um, and inherent with that, in, in, a, in a very theoretical sense, is I know a lot of people are going to fail. They're going to fail very small and they're going to fail very quick and then we'll all learn from them. You have to actually look these people in the eye. They're not theoretical to you. They're your friends and they're people you've mentored and people you've helped out. How, um, what are those? I, 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 I'm trying to get what's into it like the mind when they hit the wall? Of, yeah, what's it like? Because you've got to see that. You've got to see these people who have all the best intentions hit the ground running and then like run into reality. And I mean, is, is this. Is, is the idea then to have enough of a support network of friends and colleagues and people who are trying this where we can get them through that? Well, it's a combination of the right network and um, the right conception about scale. The, the thing that's most heartbreaking is when someone, you know, runs out into the street and wants to, you know, get into a, you know, a headbutting contest with a city bus. Yeah. You know, because they're that excited. Right. They, they want to take on a big project. Right. You know? Um, and because it's not a skyscraper, they think they're doing a small project. Sure. You know, because the big company they used to work for did skyscrapers. Mm -hmm. So they're going to do, you know, a 40-unit apartment building. You know, so to scale them back to a duplex or a fourplex is, uh, you know, the, they're quite confident that they can do it. So the, uh, the mechanism, the structure that we, that we hammer into them is that, you know, you need a buddy, you know. You need other people that you are deliberately trusting right. with your reputation. You're you're trusting them to tell you if something's wrong, right? And you're showing them your stuff. So for somebody who, uh, I, I honestly think that that women are going to be better at this than men. Yeah, because they tend. Do you have a lot of women who show up? The uh, well, we had uh, Hamtramck was about probably forty forty five percent women. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow, that's uh, fantastic. And about the same ratio in Portland for some reason. Okay. And typically 30, 40 year old women. Yeah. So the scary women. Really? Ambitious. No, like, no, accomplished. Clear headed, clear headed, right, accomplished exactly. people. That's well, funny I, because, and I'm going to say something that I don't think will come back to hurt me, but. Oh, I love a conversation <laughs> that starts like that. Yes. Here's the. A lot of times. Um, the best small developers are people who are too confident yet too uh, ignorant to know how much they could fail, right? Yeah. And that doesn't see <laughs> the women I know that are in their 30s and 40s don't, uh, don't often fit that bill, well, right? But what – and this is, a, <laughs> this is kind of a – this is a caricature that's funny because it's true. Yeah. Because not only will men not ask for directions – Right. Or even consult their phone yeah. in front of a woman. Right. 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 Uh, they will pursue uh, fairly ambitious development projects without asking directions. Right. You know, it's not like that behavior is not limited to traveling and not <laughs> no. asking for directions. <laughs> right. You know? Right. The uh, and I think that the um, uh, in many cases, the uh, if you're going into what has been a male dominated uh, profession or environment, mm -hmm. uh if you're a sharp, capable woman, uh, you've got additional obstacles to deal with. Right. Um, and you'll take the extra time and you'll put in the extra work. The, the, we're not suggesting people become small developers in a flight of fancy. We're suggesting that, you know, basically you commit, right? 
and you're going to apply your hustle to building relationships and acquiring know-how right and paying it forward and helping other people do the same so i think that the 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 people my heart goes out to are the ones that are haven't found a buddy that they can share with sure and they've gone a little bit too far out that and they've they've uh they're in trouble because they uh they were unfamiliar territory there were some unforeseen circumstance and now they got a problem yeah so the idea is that you don't have to know everything but you need to know who to call before it's too late is, is this a i'm 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 going to say another thing that maybe will get me is this a a young thing because i i say it like this i the 22 year old chuck built his own house. I was my own general contractor with my own house. The 42-year-old Chuck would never do that, even though I know way more now. What it is is I know enough now to know that I should never have done that myself. I was taking on like enormous risks. I had no, no well, right well, taking on. Yeah, you know that now I absent just, the actual proof of a house built by a 22-year-old. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I, no, would I, say, I would say I mean, you, I, you I have ample... It worked, right. Yeah. The... Um, but I'm, but I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm more risk averse now, perhaps, than I was at age 22, and that's why I'm asking: Is this? No, I, is I, think, this you, I think you always manage risk with know-how and relationships. Okay. And if you're comfortable doing that, you're comfortable experimenting. Right. People that are in the tech business that are, you know, they 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 recognize that with clever, smart people, uh, you can solve all kinds of problems. Have you assembled clever, smart people? Yes. Have you created a culture which they'll actually talk to each other? No. Well, your company's screwed then. You know? Right. So the, in some ways, these things are simple, but they're not easy. I have a really simple plan for my life. I need to find the right woman and convince her to marry me. Sure. It's like two steps. Yeah. And, and they're consecutive. <laughs> it's right. like, it fits it's, on a note card. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I could get it tattooed. You know, it's like, so, you know, and so... It's very simple, but it's by, it was by no means easy. Right. Right? Right. And then also, oh, three, three steps. And then stay married. Yeah. You know? uh, it's worked. Yeah. You, you, it's, yeah. I'm a better person for it. Yeah. You yeah. know, I recognize that that's a high leverage relationship that's contributing substantially to my happiness as a human. Sure, sure. So for the small developer uh, to recognize that the network is something tremendously valuable and they need to feed it, you know, they need to put themselves in a, in a habit of connecting with other people, you know, and getting outside of their own head. Uh, because this is not a business that should be born of pride or avarice, you know. There are a lot of places I would like to go build something great out of revenge because people pissed me off in the past. <laughs> but that would be a really a bad list. idea. Right, you know? right. I have a long list. Yeah. It's like every yeah. strode in America. You'd like to go and, like, just you know, oh, make man. it happen. You man, know? yeah, there's so many where I just... I, I, I want to see this, and, and and not only do I want to see it, but I want the people there to recognize, like, wow, we were idiots, and this guy, yeah, well, really know, th knew. There are a lot of places where I would like to have the <laughs> fallen, conquered march through the streets in chains, <laughs> With, yeah, in front of my reviews, right. yes, in front of my reviewing stand well, because I was so smart. John, yes. right? <laughs> yeah, that's so, probably not going to happen. Though, well, it's you know, it yeah. would not make me a good person. You know? <laughs> And I'm trying to be a better uh, person. Uh, I hear you. But the, for the small developer to make the connection with other people, learn things, apply them, see the result, it's tremendously satisfying. Yeah. You know? And for the, the people that are kind of the upperclassmen or the, the, the essentially the TAs right now mm -hmm. that have their first projects up and going, they've yeah. gotten financing, they're moving forward, they're building, uh, 
you the the light is in their eyes when they're talking to the rookies. It's like, no, dude, don't do this. Look, yeah. Let me tell you this horrific story that will forever inoculate you from building too much too soon. That's you know? perfect. And the so I think that more than the technical skills, we need uh, we need the, the right culture. You know, we're, we're it's the culture of building, and I think that the a real reach right now to think hard about how are we going to deal with the shortage of construction labor. Skilled construction labor is in short supply all around the country right now. A lot of the folks that are in the trades live in the neighborhoods that need work. It would be really great, instead of working, laying brick in a football stadium on the other side of a metropolitan area, if you could lay brick in the, in the neighborhood within five blocks of your house. Right. So I think that the opportunity to reduce displacement as neighborhoods are improved is to build wealth in that neighborhood with the folks that are there. And I think, I think working uh, more closely with the trades is a lot easier if your enterprise is small. You know, you don't need to have, uh, you know, a big operation needs a, a reliable, a couple of reliable plumbing companies that all have seven trucks and 17 guys. You know, a small developer needs Vincent and his nephew. Yeah, yeah. The plumber. Right, right. And not the plumbing enterprise. Right. And if Vincent the plumber has steady work with the small developer, he can define, learns the business. Array, right. And may has a few buildings of their own, you know. Mm -hmm. The so I think that the opportunity uh, for people who uh, lack opportunity now in the current kind of commodified world of building and development, if we can make it again less like manufacturing a commodity and more like cultivating specialty crops that work in a location, there's a lot of opportunity to be found there because there's a lot of stuff lost in the kind of in the falls through the cracks in the big operation. Let me ask you two last questions, and they're at different ends of the spectrum. And I'll start with the big end first. If, if, if listening to this podcast is someone who works policy at like a state level or a federal level, what, are the, what, what, what would be the takeaways for them? It, it, what would be the things that hearing this they'd say, well, you know, yes, we want 10,000 small developers around this country you know, we should have a federal initiative to <laughs> go into small development. It, it is, you know, we've done some work and, and you've seen some of the stuff that, that Richard Oram has helped put yeah. together with, you know, changing some of the finance rules. Do, is, is this a thing where the problem is big and we just need to find a way to localize? Or is it, is it more complex than that? Well, I think the, the first step with the big idea um, if you want to do a big project, a big mixed-use project, it's hard to get financing. If you want to do a small mixed-use project, financing is very evident. Just the regular, ordinary uh, FHA, 3.5% down mortgage that you would get when you would buy a house in Crossley or something. Yeah. Right? That mortgage can be used for one to four units and up to now 49%. Non-residential, so a two-story, three-story building yeah. with a ground floor that's commercial can be financed the same as a house. So, if you were building a brand new one, you would get a construction loan and pay it off with that FHA mortgage, or a Fannie Mae mortgage is twenty-five percent. And a mortgage that's going to find its way onto the secondary market, right. and yep. you know, okay. So, the um, now the problem is that a lot of the loan officers you talk to uh, are looking at the one-page summary term sheet about what that loan can do. So small developers get schooled in reading the 92-page 
underwriting guidelines available on the internet. Yeah. It's like the, they get the teacher's manual with the answers to the quizzes in the back. Sure. So I think that there's, uh, within existing financing structures, we can do a lot. I think that the, um, uh, it's more a question of what happens at the municipal level. Well, because, that was going to be my next question, yeah. is the other end of the equation. If I'm a city, I, I know you, you wrote a great post and we shared it. Uh, I think we even put it on our site. You know, Here's the things you can do as a city to show us that you're serious about wanting a small development community. Yeah, and I was kind of pissed off and wanted to put my thumb in somebody's eye at that <laughs> point. So I've been thinking about that since. And yeah. I think that the... But a lot of good things come from being pissed off and want to put a thumb in people's eye. I, I've found. I, yeah. I, I have been motivated by that at times. Yeah. But then you, you know. But we're you, Minnesotans, so you have to do it in a, yeah, you know. In a passive aggressive. A passive aggressive. <laughs> in a more polite way. Um, no, I think that the, the uh, what I've been coming to recently is uh, it's, it's not that people in municipal staff or elected officials or local activists uh, don't want to help. They don't quite know what the order of work is, sure. right? What the order of operation is, and uh, so rather than here's my list of demands, if you don't do all of them, uh, screw you. I'm not you know, coming. I'm right. not coming. It's like I'm probably not coming anyway. I was just posturing. Yeah. But the so rather than that, I think that the we need to be able to triage and say, look, here are five essential things. If you can do these five things. We have a real shot. And here's 24 helpful things. Don't let them distract you from doing the five essential things. Right. Because there might be special funding available for rails to trails or something, but that's not essential. And you might be busy. You might have staff for it. So it's tempting to do it. But if you want small development, you know, uh, get street, get parking on the street. Right. Get rid of your get parking, minimums. parking minimums. Get rid of your minimum lot area and your minimum lot dimensions. Because the building code actually, you know, uh, allows for that. Sure. Uh, and the, and if you can rein in your fire marshal and your utility companies so that they understand what you're trying to accomplish, that your city needs a return on infrastructure. Right. You know, so because the most people are often a separate tribe roaming the plains, slaughtering small developers, right. you know, well, <laughs> they, you know, over yes. the horizon right. from the people in the right. planning they, department. They just come marauding in yeah, and, like, like way, and, lay and casually kill your project. And then, yeah. And then run off. Back yes. to the, right. Yeah. And they have very fearsome weapons and, yeah. you know, they're, they have real power. Right. So I think that, that for elected officials uh, to reclaim some of that power and say, look, this is what we want from, from our, our first responders, you know. There's a balance to be struck that needs to be corrected. And from the utility companies that are regulated by, you know, commissions by the state and everything else, there's the official uh, rule of how it's supposed to go, and there's the habits that they get into, which aren't necessarily in the rule book, but become the culture of the utility company. Mm-hmm. And, the, and they become a silo. So I think that the uh, public works departments are getting better, uh, but they can be a silo as well. So... You know, get fix a couple of basic things like parking. You know, manage your on-street parking well. Get rid of your one-way pairs. And you can do that with signage. You don't have to, like, tear up streets. Right. Get rid you know, get your streets right. Get your rules about lots right. Um, if you have uh, impact fees, change them from per unit to per square foot. Uh, you know, things like 
accessory dwelling units. It was like yeah. that's if there's a fee you pay, it should be the same fee as if you just add it onto your house. Right. Not like you know that's an apartment building and it's, five thousand dollars. Oh right, yeah. For a new well, in 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 Chico, it's yeah. it's seventeen thousand dollars if you put a studio over your garage. Wow. That means yeah. Well, what you that screw affordable housing? You gotta. You well, know. well, what ends up happening is seventeen thousand dollars in cost. If you're going to own the building and rent it out, you need a hundred and seventy dollars a month just to cover the impact fee. Right. So if right. you wanted to rent the thing for five hundred dollars, that's going to be a cheap bathroom by the time you're done. Right. It's right. not going to last very well. Yeah. Because you have this impact fee structure that's out of whack. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So kind of incentivize what you want to see happen. You know, if you want things built in town, that impact is not the same as if someone built on a cornfield at the edge of town. If I'm a if I'm a city, if I'm a public official, if I'm someone who cares about a place and one wants to have a boot camp or wants to send people to a boot camp, what 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 am I doing? Well, the we've got a website up uh, incrementaldevelopment.org. Uh, I'm sure there's a link on, on Strong Towns by there now. There is, yep. yep. Uh, go there and look at the schedule and see if there's one in your region. Uh, and go to that one because if there's one in your region, we're probably not coming back for a while. Right. So that's the first thing. Uh, if you wanted to have a boot camp, you contact us and we can give you kind of the pointers on, you know, the 27 easy steps to get 100 people in a room, you know, yeah. that are the right people. Yeah. Um, so often it starts off with we'll go do a speaking gig to sort of generate interest and see how things go. That's sponsored by somebody. And then we do a one-day workshop. Um, and then probably within the next within the next six or eight months, we'll come back and do a full weekend, which is more hands-on. Right. Um, but the we're trying to think about this in terms of spreading the events around but being sensitive to who's ready. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. we, you know, they need to uh, uh, they need to have a local network. And it's different everywhere. And then Georgia Conservancy was a huge help in, in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, Connecticut Main Street was big in New England. And so we're never quite sure who to talk to, but somebody knows, you know. Right. And so we need to kind of uh, curate uh, who can do the work to get people organized, uh, whose interests are aligned with what we do, you know. We, we went to Kalamazoo, Michigan, and uh, helped them see the gap between their master plan and their zoning. And people still talk about, you know, that session was kind of a one-off tailored for, for what they needed. Yeah. You know? So we do have kind of a standard set of stuff we want to communicate. But in order for it to get to resonate and to get traction, it needs to be adjusted enough that uh, it can find, find a home in the place that it needs to be resident in. I feel like you guys are doing the most important work right now of anyone I know. I mean, short of like, you know. Maybe you need to get out more. (laughs) Maybe. But, you know, short of people who are like helping disadvantaged children and what have you. I I, I do feel like the work you guys are doing right now is has the potential to be the most transformative work in the entire country. I, I really do. You've, you know, you your blog is R. John the Bad. But, dude, you, you've got to feel like you're doing really good stuff here. I do. But when this Andres, has got to be stuff you're proud of at I'm, the end of I'm, the day. It's like the, uh, I feel bad you know, every time I leave a place because there was one more conversation I wanted to have. Or right. I, I wanted to mention something. Yeah. 
but when Andreas tagged me with that John the Bad thing, yeah. it was like the best gift ever. <laughs> because the expectation was, oh, he's terrible. Yeah. You know? So I could show up and be a normal guy. I was like, oh, well, you know, wasn't so <laughs> it's bad. way better than I thought. Right? Yeah. So by lowering expectations, you know, under promise, over deliver, yeah. you know, you can, you can build something uh, without having to, I mean, some days even Elvis is an Elvis, you know. Right. John, thank you so much for sure, taking the time. Sure, it's always a pleasure. And uh, congratulations on all the success. And we'll chat next year. All right. If not Take before. Care. <laughs> Thanks. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. Drastic times require what? They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.